Welcome to Josie and Johnny are having a baby with you. With you. My name is Johnny Donahoe. I'm a comedian, musician, actor, writer. Uh, to my left here is Josie Long. Hello, I'm Josie Long. I was going to introduce you. Keep going. She is my um, life partner. Correct. Friend. Yes. Um, uh, co-author, co-author of, of our fetus. <laughs> <laughs> um, yet to be born. Um This is a show about having children, and we're about to do that. And we're a bit scared, because we don't know very much. This wasn't 100% a plan. We knew that we wanted to have children together. Uh, We knew that we were going to do it. We had plans to do it in a couple of years once we'd got some other stuff done. Uh, That didn't go to plan. And we need to shape up. off steam. (laughs) (laughs) Josie and Johnny I've prepared so much for the birth of my baby. Really? It's all I can think of. And yet, I am aware that beyond the one day of the birth, there is an entire lifespan of the person. That's when I am going to really have your back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) I've got it down. I know what I'm doing. Do you? Well, I've held a baby before. Oh, well, that's... Once. So you can see we need advice and that is what we're doing with this podcast. We're finding people that we really love and admire the work Mm. of and some of whom we know, some of whom we don't. And we are not asking them about their work. We're asking them about their parenting. And today we're speaking with John Danielle, who is the man behind uh, the Mountain Goats. Uh, He's an incredible musician, uh, an absolute hero. He's also a novelist. He is also a thoughtful, kind, interesting man. Busy working father of two boys. Yeah, we spoke to him just about what it might mean to be a touring person Mm. having kids because, you know, part of what his life is, he's a musician. He writes and he tours. Like, How did he adapt that when he had kids? How did that feel for him? Like, that is something that's really pressing for us because if neither of us could ever tour again, that's a big deal. Well, we'd starve. (laughs) I mean, it'd take us a while because we've built up some lovely reserves around our middles. Yes. Oh, I thought you meant in the cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) We're not preppers. No. We're body preppers. Yeah, but there's, there's, there's some tyre um, that I've got here available for... That's a very lovely form of prepping, isn't it? Mm. Also, we've got about six cans of kidney beans. That's true. So we that'd be like, that's two days. We can make a bland chilli. <laughs> yeah, there's no... Well, we haven't got any chilli. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a plan for how we can tour once the baby's here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, you, you um, I'll go on first mm-hmm. while you hold the baby. Mm-hmm. And then you come on and give me the baby on stage. Cute. Um, which she does fifteen minutes. She does a tight ten, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, and then you you can headline. Oh, that's nice. And I'll go back to the hotel room with the baby, and we'll go to bed. And we'll split the money three ways. We'll split it three ways. <laughs> um, so we spoke to John Danielle. Um, he is truly one of my favourite musicians. I think he's fantastic, and also it was very special for us because. I think both of our favourite of his songs mm. is a song called San Bernardino, which is about a young couple in the States who are having a baby and they can't afford to give birth in the hospital, so they give birth in a hotel room. And it's just a very romantic, beautiful song about 
you know, having a baby. Wildly inaccurate about how um, deeply painful and sort of difficult it is, I think, he, he <laughs> later went on to say. But, um, but, but a really beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Yeah, very romantic song about bringing a child into the world. So could not be more apt for our show. So, yeah, so uh, I have a shtick that I always say before I say anything because one of my least favorite parts about our first pregnancy was everybody telling us what it was going to be like. Mm. And I don't believe in that in any field. I don't, I mean, I mean you can prep people if they've never done stand up before. You can say, well, here's some stuff that, that was true for me, right? But everybody is different. And especially with child rearing and child and with birth. People who tell you, well, this, you, you better, it's going to, this happens to everybody. That's always a lie. All they mean is this happened to me and it scarred me. (laughs) (laughs) But, but like the thing is so many people try and project their own experience of it onto you. But this is, it's just like with getting married with a wedding. When you get married, everybody goes, oh, you got to do this. You don't have to do nothing. It's your wedding. Right. And it's your childbirth. And so, and and your child raising. So when people share their experience, I always want to say, that's just them speaking from how it's been for them, right? Okay. It's not, if it applies to you, that's great. And if it's not, throw it in the garbage, like from the biggest <laughs> garbage can in the world and, and watch it go floating in because people will share a lot of garbage advice. So. <laughs> but in, see, in some ways that's incredibly reassuring. And then in other ways it's like, oh no, no one can help us specifically except ourselves, no. That's kind of both the scary and the great thing, though, because it means you're making something new, Right. That's what matters, right? It really is. There's a book called A Good Enough Parent, which I hear about. I haven't read it. But it's a good, <laughs> it's a good thing to have in your head. You're probably doing good enough. You know, During infancy, this is especially important because you pick up the baby, you put the baby down, you leave the room, and the baby starts screaming. And you go, I've traumatized my child. I have traumatized my child <laughs> who is now screaming and thinks that their parents are gone, right? And it's like, I love early child, like infancy. Uh, some people, I know plenty of parents who are like, no, I can't wait for them to start moving around and talking. That's my favorite part. And it's great too. But little tiny babies, I love that, that time of life. Where what is it you love the, about that? The entirety of your life is focused on, on that creature and on oh. your role as a caretaker. And I like to caretake. I used to be a nurse. Um, and I'm also a performer. And I think when you're performing, you're sort of trying to provide for everybody in the room. You know, you're sort of <laughs> hoping that absolutely everybody gets what they came for. It's a neurosis, right? But, sure. right. And this is true with a baby. Once babies learn to laugh, you go, oh man, I got, I, I got a good crowd for as many hours a day as I want, you know? So, I mean, I just, but your life revolves around, around one another and around the infant so much. If you are blessed enough to be able to do that, I want to say in the U.S., our situation with maternity is so dire yeah. that many, I mean, I cried my eyes out when we were new with Roman because Lilitri's employer was from Germany. So she had like six weeks off and I think she was able to get another six. But for most people in the U.S., you get two weeks maybe. Mm. That is not enough time with your sure. new baby. It yeah. should be a year in every country. I think it is in Sweden. But a year is how much time you need. In the United Kingdom, you sort of get You get six months about of paid leave and then six months of half six months is cool and and work is important and it's important for kids to to know that mommy and daddy have lives outside the home even though they will never understand that until they're like five or six (laughs) but uh a lot of people if you're not working you feel like if you've given your whole life to your children and not some people want that right but other people want to say no there's a part of me that is in the workplace what's your part of uh she was a research uh, technician but uh or a a scientist basically um 
but then she went to work doing pre-press for a, for a, a, a book publisher who was up the street uh, oh, just right. doing, doing layout and stuff. And she enjoyed it. It was a temp position. And when it ended, she said, you know, I think I'll go back to full-time mom. So, you were a pediatric nurse. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a, uh, what's called a psych tech, which is a three-semester nursing license. But yeah, I worked uh, in, in pediatric psych, yeah. Okay. What would, does that, has that been... I mean, you, you obviously just sort of, uh, you're good with kids, you like kids. Um, has that been useful coming into this? Cause it is, but it isn't, because there's a lot of, um, there's, you're just so much more personally invested in your own child. When you're a nurse, you're doing your best to keep your feelings out of it. You're very in check to go, I'm not to react emotionally here. And when your child, you know, for me, I was surprised to hear myself saying in my head, how dare you? <laughs> Come on. I'd say there's a simple thing I asked you for. And you start treating them in your head. You start talking to them like they were adults, right? Because if I asked you, hey, this is my friend Peter. Say hi to Peter. And you went, nah. Nah, I'm not go, interested. What is even wrong with you? We're yeah. friends. Say hello to Peter. He's standing right there. Peter's you know, a great guy. Yeah. He heard this whole conversation. You know, his feelings were hurt. How dare you, right? But these are kids, right? And they're, they're finding out what you'll do, right? And so, so you, and the, the right thing to do is to say, well, you know, he doesn't want to say hi right now. And that and that that tells them well. If you would have gotten any benefit from saying hi, you didn't get it now, yeah. and you certainly didn't get a rise out of me about it, right? And so, because <laughs> if they get a rise, this is one of the worst things about toddlers. They just love it, right? I mean, they love it until they don't. How are they discovering so small? that they can? Are, well, they're and this is something this won't really apply to you for another six to twelve months, but they're fucking their intelligence is like doubling you know, really quickly, right? It just keeps on happening. Uh, my booking agent, Adam, said, you know, it, one of the ways when we were having this conversation before my first, he was like, let me tell you something about crawling. You think babies crawl. They crawl for about a day. Right? <laughs> then they stand up and it's chaos. <laughs> so. That does scare me when I think about just how many potential traps, things they could throw, oh, yeah. sharp things. So many things. But the main thing, the thing is, like, more children have been hurt by adults going, like, you see this can of blue liquid? Under no circumstances ever even open it, right? And then, of course, if you're two, you go, got to be something good in there. (laughs) (laughs) Josie, I assume sleep is already pretty heavily impacted for you right now, right? This is one of the great injustices of my life. I wish somebody had sat me down when I became pregnant and said, oh, sure, the first four months you're going to feel emotionally very difficult and then there's a nice bit in the middle. And then I wish I'd said, at 32 weeks, your sleep will be stolen from you permanently. Because then what I could have done is I could have rung everyone that I'm working for and working with and said, unfortunately, I cannot work for the remainder of this pregnancy up until 32 weeks because all I'm (laughs) going to be doing is sleeping for 10 hours straight. No breaks. No getting up. All I'm going to be doing, lying on my back. Oh, my gosh. So you are sleeping well right now when you're asleep. Oh, no. Like, last night, I... I think I must have managed to have slept for about a four-hour block because when I woke up, I felt incredible. I was like, this, "Wow, that's awesome! That's amazing!" Happened. So, and and you, sir, how do you sleep? Well, uh, I'm sleeping okay, although I am occasionally um, leaving the bedroom. Uh, and going to the couch uh, during the night uh, because, um, um, with, with all the love in the world, uh, jo- Josie is is moving sort of uh, gradually in. in 
She likes the middle of the is bed. That, is that the real She's taken over. She's taken over. <laughs> is that the real reason? Or is it because you are an Olympic snorer? Uh, no, let's be very careful here. Um, I, uh, so I moved downstairs to the couch during the third trimester too. Right. I, uh, I, uh, oh, yeah. Well, Lilithri was really big. Roman was a gigantic baby. And, uh, and she was immense. Uh, and she's a very, she's a small frame. I looked at a, a picture of the last week of pregnancy recently. It was like, it's just this giant alien bulb, right? <laughs> Growing out of the middle of this five foot eight woman. Uh, but the thing about sleep that I want to say, mm-hmm. everybody's, I, I'm going to preface every answer with everybody's walk is different. I know people whose babies learn to sleep very, very quickly and they just go right back to their normal lives. My eldest has not slept a good night in his life. Mm. Uh, our sleep was disrupted permanently six years ago, and we have never recovered. Uh, I am on a permanent sleep deficit, and when I go on tour, my wife's life is pretty harsh. Uh, sure. There are a number of different schools of thinking on how best to teach an infant to sleep. There's Dr. Ferber, who people will talk to you about, who advises this very intense, you put the baby in the room, if the baby cries, you just let it cry. I think Ferber's the cry it out guy, which we don't believe in, obviously. It seems seems mean. Our second, we couldn't believe it. He was in the bedroom for, I think, six months, and he was getting bigger and smarter. And we went, okay, we'll move to your bedroom. We were ready for, like, now it's going to be chaos. He learned in, like, two days, right? He just started sleeping through, boom. And this was a baby, right? And slept through from the the night, from two or three nights after we put him in his own room upstairs. And it was a miracle. So... Plenty of people experience that, but get a little preparation for the possibility that there is a broad spectrum. I have this theory that all second babies are very content little potatoes and all first babies are very wriggly. Well, the first baby is dealing with two parents who have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> so oh, yeah. the fact that nature is ready for you to do this when you're 14 <laughs> strikes me as one of creation's cruelest jokes on sure. everybody, right? Yeah. It's like, you're not, you know, I was in my 40s when this happened. I still wasn't ready. Mm. <laughs> so. And do you think, like, is it just a case of, because... In the abstract, you think, oh, gosh, somebody who's, like, never sleeping is so energetic. But it must just be that, you know, you think, yeah, I'm really tired. They've woken me up at four in the morning, but they're also adorable and excited. So let's go. Yeah, I know. And they're, they're your children is the thing. And that's, that's what you get back is, like, because you are, for us, and I think for a lot of parents, the levels of exhaustion that you come to face are like nothing you really can compare it to, you know. Sometimes the child cries when you've been asleep for 45 minutes, right? That's not long enough to be asleep. Yeah. <laughs> you need an hour. You it's know? brutal. Uh, it's, but, but you're right, is the thing. It's like, for me, you know, you go pick up the kid and all this can only be called instinct, you know, where you go, what can I do for you? I'm here. I have, I'm able-bodied. I can do this. You know, I can't do it for 20 years, but you're not asking me to do it for 20 years. We'll speak more with John Danielle in a minute, but first, a little break. All right, uh, we're back. This is maybe this is a dumb question, but did you feel like your brain changed full stop when you had children? <sighs> Um, I don't know. I, I understand. People, I mean, I think so. I think my values changed, you know, and, but also the, also it affirms a lot of values. 
as a person, you grow so intensely, but I mean, it's a self change that you, mm. you know, the, the things you, I mean, like for one thing, uh, I come from the, from a, a style of music where in the nineties, you know, the worst thing you could do is what sell out, right? That's the worst <laughs> thing you could do. And I was real hardcore on that. I judged the hell out of my friends who, who, who would jump for a big record contract. But now I have two people who it's my charge to provide for them for 18 years. Right? Sure. So I have to, have to take care of them as best I can. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go do an advertisement you know, uh, for the president or something like that. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you, you still maintain your essential values. Yeah. But you might say, like, I turned down, um, God, it was an English company that wanted Woke Up New, a song off of... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, no, it wasn't Woke Up New. It was San Bernardino, the one about... Oh, Trump, yeah. The one about... Right. And, and a hotel chain wanted that song. No, you're kidding me. And I, well, this is before I had kids, and I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. But I'll tell you what, in America, anyway, where we have to scramble or live on the street, you know, yeah. it's like I would say now, well, I would probably say, who, who's it going to hurt if the next year of, of my child's school tuition is paid for mm. by this ad? You know, the song is still a fine song. Sure. You know, it's like these are, and these and, are positions that you become much more sympathetic toward. I'm still me. I still turn down plenty of stuff. And I'm a parent of two, and it's my job to provide for them, and that's my primary job. I understand that. I really do. I think I've mm. definitely even You've since softened. I've been pregnant, I feel like I used to be, I used to be a lot, not on other people, but on myself, I'd be really like, there's no way I would oh, yeah. do this, that, the other. And now I'm like, well, I think I'll be more open to it, you yeah, know. I understand But that. I was also thinking about the fact that, like in America, especially, like, you always have to be thinking about healthcare. You always have sure. to be thinking about certain things in a well, way yeah. that isn't, like... I think if I, if I, for example, were now thinking with the baby, okay, but I really need to make sure they have a good healthcare plan and this, that, the other, yeah. I think it would definitely add an element to my decision making. And like, that, that is how it is. It's not something that you can like say, well, personally and politically, I rise above that reality, you know? Yeah, I know. That's the thing about America is it's such a cruel, I mean, it really, that's the thing. Parenthood, the amount of crying that I did thinking about single moms right, uh, in this country, so many mothers giving birth, poor women right, who don't have a partner to help them raise the child, who after a couple of weeks have to go back to flip burgers at McDonald's, yeah. right? And it doesn't pay anything, right? It doesn't pay any real money. And then they have to be away from their, their, their infant for eight hours, right? Plus, plus transportation. I'm mean, seriously like, I was so, dude, I don't know you and how much of a crier you are. I'm an emotional person by nature. The first six months of parenthood for me, I was just crying like a baby all day. Yeah, sure. I was worse than the baby, right? It was like, it was very, 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 very heavy time. Uh, and it will wake up your inner socialist to go, it's the job of the state to whom I have been tithing my entire life, you know, my entire working life to take care of its people. That's the yeah. only job it has. It's at all important, right? And, uh, and it fails miserably in my country. It just doesn't, it doesn't provide for, what, what what this the way this country treats uh, new new mothers is just barbaric. It's literally it really barbaric, uh, and and you get pretty. The thing is, you get all wound up about it, but you're too tired to start any political movements about it. So yeah, <laughs> so no, like, just, yeah. If um, I could just get a full night's sleep, I would I would start solving this yes, problem. I'll be on that. I, I would do something, but uh, <laughs> but as it stands, I hope somebody else does. <laughs> For the last at least three months of pregnancy, a lot of what's been happening is I've been like. Johnny, please do everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can be done by me. 
Well, that's very that's super interesting because, like Lilitri experienced this again. Not everybody experiences everything the same way, but many women experience this nesting instinct just a few days or a week before the event comes, and it is wild because it's so primal. Like she just started working in the garden, started planting stuff, started uh, re- repotting stuff. It's really something else. I mean, I, I, uh, and I don't remember if it happened in the second one because. Because a second child is just this whole different, whole different sure. world. The other thing, though, as men, we have to always be vigilant of the fact that we don't. We can read a lot and say a lot, but we don't know. You know, you wouldn't go out and seek for someone to cause your nipples to crack, right? Sure. Unless you have a very particular kink, right? Like, but <laughs> but nipples crack. Nipples do all kinds of things, right? And it's massively uncomfortable <laughs> in my understanding. But it's never going to happen to me, so I don't really know. Sure. So. So you want to be open to just be saying, well, that, that sounds terrible. What can I do? Uh, and, you know, it, it, and not sort of trying to say, no, yeah, I get it. Because we don't. don't. Yeah. Right? We do not. One of my only sort of things that I've really not enjoyed in pregnancies when we were at an antenatal class at the hospital, there were a couple of dads who were so, uh, like, chippy. They were so up for being the forefront of the chat. And I remember yeah. th- there was uh, there was one which is genuinely quite you can talk disturbing. About the guy who asked, yeah. Oh yeah, because that's really upset me. Yeah, there was a guy who um, who said, uh, if uh, if my wife needs a blood transfusion and I don't want her to have it, can I veto it? And they were like, <laughs> No, <laughs> of course you can't. And he was like, Right, so I have no rights here. And then the midwife oh, is man. so great. She went. Not over somebody else's body, no. And it was, but it was kind of the extreme end because there were quite a few dads in it who were really like, um, yeah, so uh, I'd like to ask again about this. And I don't know why it got to me, but I think it did because, like you're saying, it was like, oh, look, firstly, your interest and support is commendable and useful and great, but also you could just, oh, you, you could just take a, a tiny back seat here. Just like well, that. and you could be replaced by a robot if robots were sophisticated enough, if you're the male. It's like you really, sure. the emotional support part, if you're able, if you get good at giving it, which is hard to do because you're tired and you do have your own feelings and personal investments and stuff. But yeah, guys, it can be very difficult for guys to say, look, for a period of time, my needs need to either be provided for by me or put on the table, right? You know, and like let them let them out, and then we can talk about them later. Not for too long. I don't think it's healthy as a person to say, "Well, my needs don't matter at all anymore." Right? That's sure, not because sure. it, it teaches a bad lesson to your child. It's like your child needs to learn to take care of themselves, right? To to look out for their own needs. But during during the first twelve, twenty four, fifty two weeks of parenthood, right? For a second, I thought you were going to say years, and I was going to be like, "That's an easy ride." (laughs) Well, no, I mean, but 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 I really do think you know that like it it is best for the dad to say, "How can I be useful here?" It helps if that is a philosophy you've been trying to cultivate, which I didn't when I was younger. This is one big advantage of being an older parent: is like your ego decreases, even if you're a entertainer and you 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 live off ego in some way, right? You know, because it's true. It's like you live for applause and you like to be praised and all that stuff. But as you get older, you understand that, well, that that's kind of a childish need. And, you know, it should be more about the work and the people that I'm serving yeah. than my feeling about it and all that. You know, you learn all that. If you're a little older, then that really helps once it becomes time to rub a lot of feet. That's one thing I would say is, like, if Josie, if Josie likes foot rubs, man, do some hand exercises now. I never saw anything like 
like my my new mom wife responding to a foot rub. <laughs> we'll be back in one second after this little break. Josie and Johnny are having a baby. And we're back with John Danielle. So, what happened with you? Where did you live? Did you move when you had children? Were you already no. in a certain place? I would. I hope never to move. Is that we we actually look at the possibility of moving uh, sometimes now? It fills me with terror. Sure. Uh, so, whereabouts are you based? Are you based in the city or the country? I live in Durham, North Carolina, which is a city. It's not. It's not a big metropolis. But yeah, the thing is about raising a child in cities. I know a lot of people raising children in New York City, uh, and I always think that, like it's healthy, you know, for a kid to see. Who is the, is it Boswell? I can never remember who said, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of yeah. life, right? And it's a good line, because London's an amazing town. But it's also, it, it's very demanding, you know. Uh, big cities ask a lot of you, right? They, they demand more of your time. Uh, I don't know. The other thing is, I have my own feelings about this, because I had to move around a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So my memories of childhood are like, I wish we didn't have to move, yeah. like yeah, a lot of times. I've, I had that experience over and over again. And I'm really proud that neither of my children even know what moving is. Oh, and also that thing <laughs> of they've got their bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Their home. Yeah. And it's been like my older son has had the same bedroom for longer than I ever had the same bedroom mm. until I was 10, I think. And then we moved again when I was 14. No, I don't think I ever had the same bedroom continuously for six years. <laughs> so, Also, that's one of those things where, sure, like there's different ways to go about parenting. But that is something that is so... Like fundamental in giving them some security. Absolutely. And security is uh, like, that's such a huge percentage of what you are there to provide is to make the environment as secure as it can be so that they can explore it as much as they like in safety. I am. What is actually a little bit reassuring. I do have an an office that I share with some friends that I can walk to. And we live around the corner from two no more than two how many three massive parks and yeah. a nature reserve it's oh amazing. yeah and it's... oh i would not leave where you're at after anything. <laughs> I would, I would... but it is one of those things since becoming pregnant you can like i've definitely felt this sort of like yearning to make sure that i was near to more natural environments which has been quite uh quite shocking really like not that i didn't love it before because i did but sure but you definitely since we were pregnant very keen to be by the water in, in yeah. fields, looking uh, at trees in, in the forest, and, and when the, the all the blossom came out on the trees, I felt like it was like, like I was hallucinating or something. Mm. I felt like I was enjoying it so much visually, I couldn't understand. Giving you so much pleasure, yeah. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. That is so great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Josie and I both, for a living, I'm sure this is slightly too niche for the listeners, but like you both writer performers um we both spend huge amounts of time when not when before having children uh, on long tours um separately right. and together and how have you like in the last six years how have you balanced being a touring artist and versus writing and and sort of how, how do you manage it so it, that's uh, the thing is that you're right that this is niche it's something i usually only talk about with other performers privately because I'm always so conscious 
of how people who don't have our kinds of jobs, when they see the life of the touring musician, they go, oh, brother, you got it made, man. Look at you. You don't have to answer to anybody, right? You don't have to. You set your own hours, they say, and so forth. And it looks pretty good to a person who has to report to a job at the same time every day sure. and sure. and can't speak their mind necessarily. Whereas at our job, you know, it's like if you're in a touring van with people and you get mad at them, you can have it out. Right? Sure. And like the touring aspect, I mean, somebody has to go out and make money. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's just that's the reality of the world we live in. And it's hard. I had to, I had to do a gig in Iowa like two or three weeks after Roman was born or a month. And, and you, know, you fly out, it takes three days. You, you fly out the day before you play the next day and fly home the next. Mm-hmm. I can't really fly and play anymore um, on the same day. And like, for me, I'm really intensely involved with my kids. And I wish if, if the old record business where people could make a living off of royalties and not make an album for five years and yeah, still be sure. considered valid was around, I would jump at that. I mean, I would be writing songs by the time, by the time I got around to it, I have five albums worth of material, but you know, you're leaving one person there to hold the bag, you yeah. know, uh, especially now that I have two kids, it's insane. So that doesn't mean I am taking advantage of opportunities that people offer me that I might've said, Oh no, I have my own gig that I do. I don't need to be, I don't need to be thinking about movies or anything like that. And now I think a lot harder about that stuff. <laughs> so I don't take the kids on tour though. Roman did come the first time I, I played on a bill at Carnegie hall. We, we took Roman up there <laughs> I have to say, it's great to have a picture of your two-year-old looking at you on stage on Car- at Carnegie Hall. That's oh, a great wow. picture. So, That's but, when you but, get but, reprinted in black and white in your frame. Yeah, it's super hip. But the other thing is, in the, ho- in the, in the hotel, his sleep went from poor to just abominable, sure. right? I mean, like, he just didn't, he was too excited to be in there. He'd, run, he'd wake up and run around, mm-hmm. didn't want to sleep at all. And, he <laughs> and, just uh, loves being awake. He loves being alive. He loves to, yeah, he really does. I, w- I wanted to say before we wrapped up, uh, uh, Sam Bernardino is, is one of my favourite songs. It's my favourite. It's absolute favourite. That, I mean, if you don't know it and you're listening in, that that is. It, am I right in thinking that is that song sort of is the story of a couple who go to a motel to have their first baby? Yeah, and they're teenagers. And they don't have any money. They, they don't, don't have the money to go they're... to a hospital. Right. It sort of right. fits in with what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 100%. Anyway. Well, but, it does, except here's the thing about it. That song, which I consider, you know, when I wrote it, I was very emotional about it. It was a very emotional story, and it's cool and everything. You know, they would your feeling in that motel room would not be one of profound tenderness. <laughs> it would be one of panic and fear. <laughs> so the motel would be like, how pregnant are you? No, you cannot have a room. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the thing. That's like, right. Don't do that in here. Go down the street to the hospital. And uh, I mean, I'm super proud of that song. But uh, but at the same time, I always say when I play it live, it's like, well, here's a song written by a person who had never been in the labor and delivery room before. <laughs> <laughs> but also people need beautiful things as well. They need things to elevate things and to tenderize mm. things. And- no. And, you, and the thing is, it's still true to the spirit of having a newborn in the Completely. house. Having a newborn in the house, it is sacred. It's yeah, literally but- whatever your view of the sacred is, you will experience that as a parent. You will know. The sacred is also dirty and grubby and painful. It's not just a happy moment. It's like this full immersion in who you are. You yeah, know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's quite incredible. I want to read a poem to you that was on our birth announcement when Roma was born. Okay. We'll see if for the first time ever I can get through it without crying. Okay. <laughs> we'll try. Uh, it's by one of your own poets named Thomas Hardy. And uh, the poem is called Proud Songsters. The thrushes sing as the sun is going and the finches whistle in ones and pairs. And as it gets dark, loud nightingales in bushes pipe as they can when April wears, as if all time were theirs. 
These are brand new birds of 12 months growing, which a year ago, or less than twain, no finches were, nor nightingales, nor thrushes, but only particles of grain and earth and air and rain. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Now, we're, <laughs> but I was crying been. anyway because I was thinking about San Bernardino and I was thinking about the uh, the thing about dead languages and the the fact that is you're doing something that every everyone has done as far back as you can go. Yeah, yeah. Then, no, it can, that's that's so mystical that like, yeah, yeah. You're, you are literally participating in in the chief activity of the species. <laughs> oh, thank oh, you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's I I could do it all day, mm. as you can tell. It's like this is this is my theme. It's like when people <laughs> call me to talk about the mountain goes, so I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I care. It's my work. I care. But like, this sure. is the stuff yeah. that is a real joy to talk about. Oh. Thank All right. you. I love you guys, and I'm really proud of oh, you. And I know that you are going to have the best time. And, oh, you're the best. Uh, you will alert me as soon as this baby is well, not oh, as we soon. Will. Yeah, I'll send you a photograph. <laughs> oh, you're the best. Thank you so Thank much. You so but yeah, text much. or email. Let me let me know what you've named this lovely baby and send pictures. We will. <laughs> Thank you so All much. Right. Have a lovely day. You do the same. Take care, Bye. mate. Bye. That was such a joy um, talking to John Daniel. Then we're very lucky to get to talk to him, and he gave us—he uh, read us a poem, gave us huge amounts of wit and wisdom. What, a, what lucky people we are! Yeah, it really was the whole package. Yeah. Also, it's just so exciting uh, to know somebody like him who really does live up to your hopes and dreams of who that person is. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us personally at uh, Johnny Donahoe if uh, you're interested in Twitter. That's me at Johnny Donahoe, um, or on johnnydonahoe.co.uk. That's my website. He won't upgrade to com. I'm not willing to. Um, you can find Josie at Josie Long um, on, on Twitter, Twitter or JosieLong.com. You, 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 you plumped for .com then. I went all the way. Oh, okay. Also, I've got an Instagram at Josie Long. I have an Instagram at Johnny Donahoe. You can find John Darnielle at johndarnielle.com. Is he on Twitter, Josie? I think he is, and I think he's at mountain underscore goats. Also an underscore. I'd like to see an underscore. Also, please, if you enjoy the show, it would mean so much to us and so much to the show itself if you were to give us a kind review and a good five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. But, you know, just the fact that you're listening to it is more than enough for us. Thank you for that. This show was produced by Ruth Barnes and Laura Sheeter from Chalk and Blade for Stitcher, with special thanks to Stephanie Karayuki and Laura Mayer. And we are Josie and Johnny. Yes, we are. If you want to hear more, you can sign up to Stitcher Premium. You can hear every single episode of Josie and Johnny are having a baby with you ad-free before anyone else. And if you want to try that, you can get a free month of listening if you go to stitcherpremium.com forward slash baby. And if you use the promo code baby. Yeah, that's but that's baby spelt normally, even though you said it silly. I said it in a nice way. You said it fun. Next week, we'll be talking to some other very important people, so make sure you subscribe to us at Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you like to listen to. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Stitcher.